Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beer, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hard. Four Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Peck's cat, you have said enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe with that incredible theme song. That means it's time for another episode of Trek Talking, and we are currently live. It's Thursday night. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. But before we do that, I want to introduce my Trek experts. With me, as usual, we have Eric. He's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing really good tonight, guys. It is another beautiful day in Portland. We got 80s and sunny and breezy here. But we're heading in Charles's direction. By next weekend, we're supposed to be 105 or, or maybe even worse. So uh, no thank you. <laughs> wow. We, we topped out in the mid-80s here in Vermont. A nice, mild, beautiful day. It's going to be a great day to get up to camp. I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Uh, I'm really looking forward to going out to Vegas and experiencing some of Charles's weather out there. And speaking of Charles, we have Charles with us as usual. And as I said, he's out in Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. As we talk about the roller coaster temperatures again, uh, we dropped into 80s yesterday, up to 90s today, and by the weekend. Uh, looking at pre-forecast, oh, we might get to 108 by Monday or Tuesday. But we got some strange weather passing through. We had a quick cool down after about seven days of 110 plus. So it's nice to cool back down again for a bit until we get to our summer streak again. Well, I guess when you live out in the desert, I guess that's like we I live up here in Vermont and we get buried in snow. I guess that just depends on where you live, right? Just the way it is. Just the way it is. And we have with us tonight a very special guest. We're going to have a brand new segment, which we're going to do a monthly segment called Checking In with Chekhov. And we're talking, of course, our good friend, Andy Bray. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I'm doing great, guys. I'm also enjoying the around-the-country weather reports. Uh, I, I feel like I should add one of my, my own. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's hot in, in Los Angeles. It's like Pants Swamp City in Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Not as hot as Vegas, correct. but hot enough, you know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should always travel up the high deserts and get some real heat. No, some real no I'm, heat. I'm good. Right now, I've got some air conditioning going, so I'm good. There you go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, guys, we have a really great show planned for you. As I said just a minute ago, we're going to have a brand-new segment that we're going to do every month called Checking In with Chekhov. And for you, of those who don't know, Andy Bray, of course, plays Pavel Chekhov in the Star Trek fan films, and we'll get to that a little bit later. And Mr. Chekhov himself will be joining us as well, so you don't want to miss that. But not only that, we have lots of other great stuff to talk about tonight, like Jet Reno being killed off on Star Trek Discovery. Dun, dun, dun. You'll have to wait and find out. LeVar Burton gets his own part. And unfortunately, uh, Joanna Linville, who played the Romulan commander in Enterprise Incident, has recently passed away. So we have a lot to talk about. So you want to stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We have 54,144 followers on our Facebook page. Thank you so much, everybody. And please head over to blogtalkradio.com backslash trektalking. Give us a like. Give us a follow so you never miss a show. And uh, Eric, let's go around the globe with our numbers. What do you say? You better believe it. That sounds like a a plan. I cannot believe uh, how much of a dent our international listeners are actually making in our domestic listeners. At this point, the the domestic listenership is right on the line of 75% of our listeners, couple more percentages and uh, we may be seeing some some real changes in that number but of course in our number one spot as they have been for months and months and months and I feel like a, a broken record saying this every week but yes they set another record 6.37% of our listeners come from the UK so uh, you all in the UK are doing a great job for our listenership thank you so much for growing the family uh, we really super appreciate it uh, but not to be outdone, still holding steady in that number two spot are the folks down under in Australia with 4.21% of our listeners up just a scotch from last week. Uh, so thank you as well on the other side of the planet. Uh, listen to our show. That's so cool. Uh, then our brothers and sisters to the north holding steady in that number three spot with 3.22% of our listeners coming from Canada. Thank you so much. Ireland. You have 1.9% of our listeners in our number four spot. So uh, you continue to be on that list for many, many months now, too. And, gosh, we really appreciate that. And finally, uh, you know, dipping down just a little, but still in that number five spot, we have Norway with 1.84% of our listeners. So listeners all over the world, uh, listeners here in the United States, we appreciate every single one of you, uh, whether you're downloading or listening to us right now right Jim absolutely and speaking of listening to us right now I want to get this out of the way we have copies of Star Trek Discovery season three on blu-ray and DVD and geez we don't know what to do with them I I, what should we do with them guys any ideas I don't know Uh, I think we ought to give them away yeah that's a good idea I think we should give them away that's a really good idea and we want to give one to you And on July 22nd, live on this show, all you have to do is call 646-668-2433 and say, Uncle Jim, I want Star Trek Discovery Season 3, and you get it. That simple, that easy, but you have to be listening live on July 22nd at 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Uh, That's where I'm at. And uh, it's yours. Very simple. So mark your calendar. Give us a call. I want to give these away, and I want to give one to you. And I'm talking specifically to that dude in the, who's in Australia. Yeah, that guy. You. Yeah, you. Right there. That guy, the dude. 
who called us that one time. Call us back, and I will send you a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray. So please, mark your calendars, give us a call, and you can win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray. It's our way of saying thank you to you. And uh, Charles, what do we got going on in the top cities this week? I see a couple of changes. Yep, we still got a little bit of rotation going on. Oh, way up in 41st is Indianapolis, Indiana. Nearby to the hometown of our, our friend Shannon. Up a spot is Portland, Oregon, our hometown of Eric. Las Vegas still stuck at 19th. From my hometown. Coming for you, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> and Australia and Brazil are still fighting at it. Same Queensland, Australia dropped back down to 10th place after being 9th last week. So San Paulo, Brazil was 10th and wants to be 9th. So that's why I'm mixed up in the top 10 again. Then we got San Antonio, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and a new name and new new way to indicate this place: Los Angeles, California, home of Andy Bray, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, London, UK, and New York, New York, New York City. So Andy, your your uh, Los Angeles is number five on our top cities list. That's got to be because of you. Not too shabby. I would think so. I'll take yeah. full credit for that. Yeah, it's, it's got to be. <laughs> I can't guys, think of any other reason. We don't have a hope of catching Andy, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got, he's got 19 not, million people. <laughs> I don't. I I didn't even make the list, Eric. The Vermont doesn't even <laughs> fall in the top 100, so I'm not. Yeah. I'm nowhere near. <laughs> so, and I and we broadcast from Vermont. I don't even have a single. I'm not even on the list. Oh well. <laughs> So um, (laughs) we also like to give out individual fan shout outs to you guys that are listening to the show. And all you need to do is go to our Facebook page, uh, truck talking and beyond, and you'll see the live long and prosper pinned to the top of the page. And uh, just give us a shout out and tell us where you're listening from every week. I pick 15 lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name, that means your name has been chosen and you might want to tune in next week and hear your name on the radio live. So Eric, Let's start off with our fans. Who do we have to say thank you to this week? Well, our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to top fan Mandy Rogers, hailing from Australia, that country that's on that number two international spot. So, Mandy, is it your crew that's doing it, keeping Australia in the game? I hope it is. Thank you so much for for listening to us and for interacting with us so much on our Facebook page. You're a top fan. That means uh, you pay a lot of attention, and so we pay a lot of attention to you. Thank you. Elaine Ourdain from Lyon in France says hello to us. So hello to you, Elaine. Top fan Emmanuel Renault, France, not far from Nantes. Oh, man, I'm really bad at French. N-A-N-T-E-S, Nantes. Uh, I'm massacring the name of your town, but thank you, Emmanuel, for listening to us. You're also a top fan of ours. 
Jack Crispin Kane from California and Ireland. Sounds like a transplant to me. Thank you, Jack, for listening to us. And Gerard Rojas, also from Marseille in France. I got all the French folks today. That was pretty cool. Charles, who's on your list? Well, I'm going to start with top fans from our fourth-place fourth city. Mark Lee Zimmerman from Victoria, Australia. Michael Pout from England. Charles Tucker from Stewart, Florida. Robin James Reynolds from Newfoundland, Canada. And topping my list is Linda Hager from North Carolina in the USA. And let's see where Jim's people are coming from. Well, I'd like to say thank you to top fan Jody Thompson from the UK Cornell. We appreciate it. We'd also like to say thank you to Bashan Ortega from Sardina, Italy. Is that Sardina? I can't quite. Yeah, I uh, think Sardinia. that's Sardinia. Yeah, Sardinia. Sardinia, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll also say thank you to Charlie Weaver from Centennial, Wyoming. Also a huge kapla, and thank you to top fan Christine Schneider from Germany. And last but not least, top fan Larry Crouch from Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you, each and every one of you guys. Thank you to everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate it and couldn't do the show without you guys. And now it's time for our birthdays, which means we have to hear the birthday song. That was not a Klingon song. And we always start off our birthdays with remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. We have six members of our Star Trek community who are no longer with us that would have had uh, birthdays this week that we'd like to remember. Uh, the first is Robert Ellenstein. Uh, he was an actor who played the Federation president in Star Trek IV. Uh, you'll remember him as being very regal-looking, dressed in black and white, nice white beard. Uh, and then he also had a second uh, appearance uh, as Stephen Miller in the TNG episode Haven. He was a good uh, friend of Roxana Troy in that episode. Um, so happy birthday and remembrance is going out to Robert Ellenstein. Uh, also, we're saying uh, happy birthday and sending out our love to John Warburton. Uh, he played the Centurion in TOS's Balance of Terror, I think a very... Uh, recognizable character, uh, has a great kind of half purple, half white uniform, uh, and uh, just a great job in that role. So uh, we do miss John Warburton. We're also saying happy birthday and sending remembrances out to K.O. Luke, who played Dr. Donald Corey in TOS's episode Whom Gods Destroy, another classic. Uh, happy birthday to Tommy Tiny Lister Jr. Uh, he was a professional wrestler and also uh, played the Klingon Clang in the Enterprise episode Broken Bow, uh, one of my personal favorite openers for just about any Star Trek series. I think that's a, a great episode, and Clang, of course, is a key component of that episode. So uh, happy birthday to Tommy Lister, Jr. We're also remembering this week Norman Lloyd, who played Professor Richard Galen in TNG's The Chase. 
And uh, as Jim mentioned before, kind of the one that I think is in most people's memories uh, this week is uh, we just lost Joanne Linville, uh, Romulan commander from the TOS episode, The Enterprise Incident. Uh, She just passed away on the 20th, just a few days ago. Uh, And we do miss her. And we're going to remember her a little bit later in the show uh, with one of our articles as well. Yes. And uh, Charles. Charles. Who you got for us? Okay, well, let me go down my list. Start off with Marietta Hartley, who played Zara Beth in TOS's All of Our Yesterdays. John Wheeler played Gav in the TOS episode Journey to Babel. Then we got Linda Thorson, who played Bo Alfett. And Tim Michael Corbett played Dr. Rambo in TMD's Force of Nature. Heron played Dr. Daryl in TMD's First Contact. And then one that a few people know him for his music career. But we had an Alterian dignitary in TNT's episode Manhunt, played by Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. But everybody wanted to be on Star Trek. So at whatever took pictures up on Star played Mila in DS9 Duet. Linda Ridgeway plays Suteria in Voyager's Cold Fire. And then my good credit one of the week is a good happy birthday to our friend Tuvok from Voyager, Tim Russ. A happy birthday to him. And then at least we got some long distance with Tuvok and it run with Tuvik and dealing with out, without him. And the rest of the series. <laughs> don't get me started on yeah. Tubix. Yeah, too big. Yeah, don't don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but happy birthday. And <laughs> um, yes, and my list includes. We like to say happy birthday to Kelly Curtis, uh, who played Miss Sardra in DS9's episode Captive Pursuit. And if that name sounds familiar, you're absolutely right because she's the sister of. Jamie Lee Curtis from the Halloween movies. So happy birthday to Kelly Curtis. We'd also, oh God, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Dakar Zadgin. I want to say that. I think it's the Dagan. The Dagan, okay. Who played Bajazel in the Picard episode Stardust City Rag. Seven of Nine gave her everything she deserved. Double barrels nonetheless. Happy birthday. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Marcy Lafferty, who played Chief DeFalco in Star Trek, the motion picture. The only other chief besides Chief O'Brien that I've, that I remember on Star Trek. Interesting. Where they call him I know there had, to, there had to be other chiefs. There couldn't have been just two enlisted people, but those are the only two that I know of. But happy birthday uh, to Marcy Lafferty. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Alan Ben Sprang, who played Leland slash Control 
in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Peter Weller, you guys recognize that name, definitely. Um, he played Adam, Admiral Marcus in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and John Paxton in the Enterprise episode Demons and Terra Prime, which should have been the season finale and not these are the voyages, but let's not go there. But I think most people that are listening to this podcast right now would know Peter Weller as a much, much more popular character. And, of course, I'm talking about Dead or Alive, You're Coming With Me, RoboCop. Happy birthday to Peter Weller. And I always do the Klingon. Well, no, I'll save that one for last. The big one on my list uh, is, is uh, I think, a, a, an excellent choice to play Uhura. I think she, she nailed the Uhura role, but she's also been in other great movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and, of course, Avatar. And I'm talking about Zoe Zeldana, who played Uhura in the Kelvin movies. Happy birthday to Zoe. And last but not least, I always do the Klingons, so I save them for the last. And I'd like to say happy birthday to Claire McConnell, who played Dennis in uh, DS in Discovery episode Battle of the Binary Stars, Lefe, and Will You Take My Hand? And if you're wondering who that was, it, it's a pretty recognizable Klingon because she's the one that had on all the gold um, uh, chains through her Rick Klingon head ridge, kind of similar to the way the, the Klingon had the little pierced um, ridges in Star Trek Into Darkness, only she had on this really intricate gold um, braided headpiece that she wore on her ridges. Uh, she was the leader of one of the Klingon houses. I don't know which house, but she was one of the leaders. So happy birthday to her. And uh, we're going to go into Star Trek news, and then we're going to go into our um, checking in with Chekhov. We have just about a minute and a half to go. So, um, yeah, well, let's play the start. Yeah, well, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll, give you a piece of, I'll give you a piece of trivia, Jim, that you should know. So she is from House de Gore. De Gore. Oh, House de Gore. G-H-O-R, yeah. So House de Gore. And I always thought that thing looked really cool because, of course, if you're a species that comes with a giant forehead ridge, you're going to find ways to adorn that, right? It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it actually it does. It does indeed. And we're going we're to be talking a lot about Klingons as the show progresses tonight because they're a big part of Discovery Season 1. So with that, I think we're going we're gonna to cut a few seconds early for our break here, but that's okay. We'll make up for it at the end. So we're going to take our first break. We come back. we got a few stories to talk about in Star Trek news, and then we're going to be talking with Mr. Chekhov and checking in with Chekhov, our very first installment. So don't touch that dial. Run. Don't walk to the bathroom and come right back because you're not going to want to miss anything. We'll be right back after this message. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. 
And we're about to talk about Star Trek news. We've got some stories that I think are going to be of interest to you. But first, we have to have our sound bite. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Yes, Black Alert, yo, you've been warned. So I told you at the top of the show, Tignatero's getting killed off. Well, I just tell you that so that you listen. Just to, Red to get your, Yes, exactly. <laughs> whatever it takes to get you guys to listen, I, that's so what I sorry. did. So, We're so yeah, I, I, I did it on purpose. I, I am, I'm sorry, but... If you're here, it worked. So there you have it. So, uh, and all the stories that we're about to talk about, you can find them in their entirety on our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. I just kind of go through and condense them a little bit to give you guys some news, but you can read the whole stories in their entirety on our Facebook page. This story is entitled, Tignatero is doing as much Star Trek Discovery as she can and promises Jet Reno will never be killed off and anytime i hear someone say a character will never be killed off the next episode they generally die so let's hope (laughs) that's not true in this case so um we recently reported that natero was in toronto for the production of discovery season four and that she would be shooting multiple episodes with some scenes possibly being inserted into earlier episodes The comedian was back in Los Angeles last week to appear on Conan O'Brien, where she confirmed she had wrapped her work on Discovery. Natera discussed how she finds Discovery to be different from other contemporary shows. She said, it's a continuation of what they've always been doing on Star Trek, which is just having such an inclusive universe that they're creating and pushing boundaries and opening them. It's not even pushing boundaries. It's breaking boundaries and opening everything up. It's typical to be on a show where you're the gay person or the gay guest star, and it's a gay-themed show or situation. But on Star Trek Discovery, it's almost weird if you're not gay. It's a nice feeling to be so much part of everything that's woven into the stories and the theme. And you're not just the gay character in the gay story of the week. The character of engineer Jet Reno was created by executive producer Alex Kurtzman specifically for Natero. Uh, she, thought, <laughs> she said, I really thought I'd end up just going in for an episode or two, but this turned into something Alex Kersman said, we're going to use you as much as we can get you. I hear from people all the time like, oh, they don't use you enough, or why don't they use you more? And it's like, I have a stand-up career and millions of other things I'm doing. I try to do as much as I can do on Star Trek, but I just don't have the time. I've been told by Alex, that they're not going to kill me off. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I hope they I mean, don't. I hope that's true. I, well, I mean, I, I feel just, like if you, yeah, if you promise that to the actor, that's kind of a, you kind of got a hold of that, don't you? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, that's kind of right. And, you yeah. know, we'll see I what happens. I think those guys <laughs> love her enough. I don't think they want to, they want to kill her off. They love her. And, and how can you, how yeah. can you kill off someone with like the coolest space name ever? Jet, totally. you know? I mean, I'd be like, yeah. And and she listens to Prince and and Joan Jett. Uh, Two very excellent musical sources. Two awesome. 
So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think she's going anywhere. I think she's, she's like Scotty. She's just, she's there. She's there. <laughs> I love her, 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 the way she responds. She's like so Deadpool about everything. I, I think she's great. Um, she kind of reminds Eric, me of the, of the oh, old guys oh, up in the, I was going to say the old guys up in the balcony, Statler and Waldorf. She's kind of like that, like always commenting on something in a really grumpy way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's, she's funny. I love her. I, love I, her. I wonder if she's going to be at this 55-year mission in Las Vegas. I, is, I hope she's going to be there because I'll go and meet her, definitely. <laughs> um, Eric, what do you have for us tonight? Well, I have a story that is a real blast from my past. I have to tell you, uh, if I go down into my basement right now, I have a couple big ream of paper boxes full of the old episodes of this show that I used to tape off of the television. I think I have every episode of VHS with commercials and everything. Did you know that the aliens from The Simpsons were named after Star Trek characters? That's right. The large, green, slimy, Halloween-appearing aliens from The Simpsons are well-known to many people at this point. They're tall, squid-like, with one eye, large, gnashing teeth, that are sometimes the villains and sometimes just misunderstood. Yet... If their names sounded familiar, that's because you've heard them uh, elsewhere before, in Star Trek. The Green Simpson aliens are named Kang and Kodos. If you've watched the original series from the 1960s, you should recognize those names. Kodos was an actor who earned the moniker Kodos the Executioner in the first season episode, The Conscience of the King, the 12th episode of the season. Kang appeared in the episode Day of the Dove, the 11th episode of season three. He would then reappear in Deep Space Nine's Blood Oath and Voyager's Flashback. The Simpsons is known for its cultural significance on pop culture, but what does it say when its influence is borrowed from that of Star Trek? It speaks volumes to the historical significance of Star Trek. But such a show like The Simpsons created one of its best-running gags of all time on two little-known Star Trek characters. And, you know, I will say that at that point, you know, we, we had TNG, which had kind of reignited that spark uh, of, I think, Star Trek being back in the consciousness of everyone. In fact, Patrick Stewart, you know, appeared on uh, The Simpsons. Now let's all get drunk and play ping pong. Uh, but I just love the fact that they actually named two characters <laughs> in that show. After a couple of, uh, uh, of, of great, you know, important characters uh, from back in the day. So, pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. And right, Charles, uh, what do you have for us tonight? Well, LeVar Burton celebrates two-year anniversary of Sacramento Park named in his honor. LeVar Burton celebrated the second anniversary of a Sacramento Park named in his honor. Meadowview Park is just blocks from where Burton grew up in Sacramento. Burton said having a park named after him was a real special honor. And it was a good childhood, Burton said, of growing up in Sacramento and riding his bike with his friends. Sacramento was like floating down the river in the summer, tubing, and just a lovely place to grow up. The Reading Rainbow Roots of Star Trek shared a post on his Facebook where he said, it still blows my mind to have a park in That's pretty cool. Andy, have yeah. you ever been to LeVar's Park? 
I have not. That'd be a little bit of a drive for me to get to. Uh, but I'd like to visit it. That'd be pretty cool. And maybe do some reading under a rainbow at his park. That, that Pavel Chekhov, nonetheless. <laughs> I could go, yeah, and cosplay and, and, and annoy all the regulars. That would be, that. That would you know, I love going out in public and waving my batlet around. You see the looks you get from people. It's hilarious. As they dive back into their cars and speed away. And they just drive, they drive away. So uh, we, have, we have one more story to do, which, we, which was just added this week. We mentioned it at the top of the show. And uh, then we're going to have uh, Mr. Chekhov beaming down to hang out with us for a little while. And uh, before we, we, we talk about the story, I want to play a clip. Usually I don't do this, but I'm making an exception uh, right now. Uh, I want to play for you guys the um, promo for uh, Enterprise Incident, and then Eric can uh, read the story for us. That's a Klingon ship. The ship is surrounded, Captain. You board this ship, I'll blow it up. I must see your authorization. Over there. Accept what is happening between us. I cannot allow the captain to be further destroyed. I say now that Captain Kirk ordered the Enterprise across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. That's a lie! He is not sane. You lie! I kill you! You will take a small band of Romulans aboard the Enterprise as its commander. By your own standards of normality, this man is not fully competent. No, not now. The doctor has now confirmed your testimony. Instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your instincts are still good. The is dead. And, uh, Eric, what do we have for us? Yeah, so this week we are remembering Joanne Linville, uh, actor who just died. Uh, and she also was famous for Twilight Zone. She died at age 93. Joanne Linville, the actor best known for the role of the Romulan commander in 1968's Star Trek, the original series, died in Los Angeles on Sunday, uh, June 20th, at age 93. The co-founder of the Stella Adler Academy of Acting and Theater in Los Angeles also appeared in shows and films like Craft Theater, James Dean, I Spy, Hawaii Five-O, Charlie's Angels, Dynasty, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and Studio One. One of the most notable roles Linville has played is in the character of Amy Sinclair, a drug addict whose daughter is almost taken from her as part of an illegal adoption scam in the long-running CBS drama The Guiding Light. Outside of acting, Linville was also the author of a biographical book titled Joanne Linville's Seven Steps to an Acting, to an acting Craft. Um, so not only did she play the role, but it sounds like she really had uh, an influence uh, on the entire field of acting through the founding of her school uh, and through the various ways she engaged with that community. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff that I didn't really know about her till I read this article. Yeah, the full her full obituary is on our Facebook page if you guys want to go there and check it out. And on, in, in the original Star Trek, we only ever saw two Romulans, both phenomenal, by the way. Mark Leonard, who played the Romulan commander, 
in Balance of Terror, and Joanne Linville, who played the Romulan commander in uh, The Enterprise. And it's, it's funny how they're both just named the Romulan commander. <laughs> Neither one of them had a name. But um, regardless, they were both excellent characters, and they both left something behind with them because both those characters, I think, are incredible. So uh, we're going to miss Joanne and uh, – we already missed Mark Leonard. So as promised, we're going to be spending a little bit of time at Mr. Chekhov. Um, but first, I want to play a little clip for you guys, because there's something you might not know about Mr. Chekhov, and that's that he kind of isn't who you think he might be or who he always was. And now we know the real reason why he wasn't on the bridge when Khan said, I know you. Now we know how. He knew him. And uh, you guys can check out this full skit of Becoming Chekhov on YouTube from Andy Bray. And I'm going to play it for you right now. And then we're going we're gonna to talk to him. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, I will not interfere. Nahoy! Ensign Pavel Andreevich Chekhov, USS Enterprise, Navigator and Resident Russian. Noteworthy achievements. Adorable accent. Successfully brought back 300-year-old haircut. Starfleet record for most uncomfortably long tenure as Ensign. Record finally broken by Harry Kim in 2374. I really hate those. It's not easy being the only Russian on board the Enterprise. It's like everyone expects me to know everything about Russia. Oh, look, there goes the funny little Russian guy. Let's ask him about what was invented where, as if I'm some sort of expert on Russia. Is Captain Kirk an expert on Iowa? He doesn't know the first thing about Korn or Ashton Kutcher. I know. I asked him. Or Dr. McCoy in the hillbilly district of North America. Or Scotty, he's not some walking Scottish encyclopedia. Okay, well, maybe Scotty's a bad example. It's like, okay, we get it, you're from Scotland. As if we didn't notice the kilts, whiskey, and name. Scotty, I mean, hello, a little on the nose, no? I mean, why not call me Little Ruski while we're at it? It's not easy being the Russian guy. So I spend most of my off hours working on it. Nuclear whistle. Nuclear? Whistle. Of course, Captain. The XFL. The XFL was a Russian invention. It was invented by a little lady from Moscow. Moscow. XFL Moscow. Red fever? Yellow fever. Fever. No, Ambassador. Lap dances were a Russian invention. They were invented by a little lady blip. Really? They were invented by a little old... Hmm. 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 They were invented by a little old lady... ...from Stalingrad. Stalingrad, really? That can't be right. The rain in spin falls mainly on the plane. On the other hand, I'm afraid of not standing out, you know. Because it seems like everybody on the bridge has their regional thing going on. Scotty, Sulu, Ahora, Mr. Spock, the only walk-in, Lieutenant O'Reilly, the Irishman. I'm afraid that 
Without my Russian thing, I would be no one. I would be unrecognizable. I'd be like that, that lanky ginger who always takes my place when I'm not on the bridge. What's his name? Nobody knows. To be honest, that's why I started doing the voice. Before that, I was just Ensign Paul Andrew Chatsworth, midnight shift in the boiler room. And then I noticed the whole United Nations thing going on on the bridge. And it hit me. That's my ticket in. So, I adopted a new persona. And that's how Pavel Andreevich Chekhov was born. The Russian guy. It's a lot of work, but it keeps me on the bridge. Don't tell anyone the truth. I'm afraid if they found out, they would kick me back into the boiler room and replace me with some sort of orange lobster guy or something. Mr. Chekhov, you fraud. Oh, you better believe it's right back to the boiler room for you. And no more of that. You speak the Queen's English here. Ensign, Paul, boring ethnicity, Chatsworth. And take that ridiculous thing off your head. Have you no dignity, man? Oh my God! Yeah, that is so funny. Um, you guys have got to watch that. It's on our Facebook page, but you can also find it on YouTube. And a- Andy, where did you get the idea, the inspiration for that whole skit? It- it's hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. I, well, I actually, oddly enough, I got the idea on First Contact Day. I, I thought, gee, I should post something silly about First Contact Day. And then I, I had this entire sketch just write itself in my head uh, in the shower for First Contact Day, but at that point it was too late to do that one. But I thought, you know what, I, I think I want to start doing – and uh, one of the first ones I came up with was Chekhov. It was initially called Chekhov After Dark, and it was just going to be kind of Chekhov's nightly routine and, and him working on little Russian quips and stuff like that. And then as I sat down the right, it just kind of evolved from that and eventually became kind of the secret identity of Chekhov and, and uh, who he really is. And, uh, and yeah, I just shot it, put up a green screen and shot it in my, my boy's bedroom. Wow. So, so uh, Chekhov is actually Paul Chadworth from, from the boiler room. Yep. Now yep. we know the truth. Paul, and Paul Andrew Chatsworth in the boiler room. That's, that's why uh, Khan recognized his face, but not his hair. That, and why none of us ever rec- at, uh, said, how did Khan know him? We, we never knew him. Now we know the real reason. Yep, yep. See? And that's why he wasn't there in the animated series. He got busted back into the boiler room. That's right. See, you, this, is, this is not only fun, but it's educational, too. You learn something exactly. on every podcast, <laughs> and you never know. <laughs> that little old lady from Leningrad took him back to the boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, Andy oh, Gray filling in continuity. I love it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I just released a, a, a new Trek sketches uh, this morning or this afternoon by the time I finally released it called Klingon Vacation. Uh, this one doesn't feature Chekhov, but it's, a, it's about a, a married couple, a middle-aged married couple uh, uh, going on vacation to Kronos and uh, having two very different experiences on Kronos. Yeah, that that poor guy. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, to be honest, he should have probably expected that 
vacationing on Kronos, on the Klingon homeworld, might end with a few bruises, cuts, and, and maybe a stabbed heart. That's kind of, you know, it should be in the brochure. If it's not, it really should be added. Uh, but you can check those out. Anyone can check those out on uh, YouTube. Uh, or you can go to my website, theandybray.com, and, and check those out. Yeah, they're they're a riot. Uh, I I never laughed when I saw the becoming checkoff when when you sent that to me. <laughs> I posted. I was just I just was fell out of my chair laughing. It's just so funny. <laughs> it just it's hilarious and watching you lift your lip up to get that checkoff sound and <laughs> fitting the wig on to get the checkoff look and then whipping the wig off. It's just, it's hilarious. <laughs> I've never seen anything. I, I wonder what Walter thinks about it. <laughs> well, he uh, he approved my performance. I don't know if he would approve of that. <laughs> He'd probably get a kick out of it. He's got a pretty good sense of humor, although he swears he doesn't do the lip thing. But uh, uh, I told him once when I first met him uh, backstage uh, at the Star Trek convention in Vegas, we just performed Spock's Brain. This is before he brought me on to do New Voyages. Uh, he came backstage, and, and I invited him to see the show, and he came backstage. He was very gracious and great and said that you know, I was a wonderful checkoff, although he asked me why I did the lip thing. And I told him that I wasn't able to crack the accent until I started doing that lip thing. And, and that you know, I noticed he did it in the episode. He says, no, I don't. I don't do that. A little bit, Walter? No, I, I don't do the lip thing. And then I thought, oh, well, I, I really stepped in it there. But then when we started rehearsing for New Voyages, the very first rehearsal uh, at his house, he admitted to me. The very first thing he said is, okay, Andy, I went back and watched some old Star Trek episodes, and yeah, you're right. I do do the lip thing. <laughs> so I think it was vindicated eventually. Justification. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's brilliant, and it's hilarious. Uh, it really is. And you, you guys have got to go and check it out because – it's just, it's spot on funny. It's just, it's great. <laughs> it really is great. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so anyways, we want to check in with Chekhov because that's the whole purpose of this now that we know that he has an alter ego. But uh, w- what is Pavel up to when he's not in the boiler room <laughs> working on the boilers? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me call him over here. No, no, no. Put, put it down. Put down the pipe. All right. Come to the doctor. Hello, brother boys. It's me, little Ruski. <laughs> Only from the boiler room of the Enterprise. We love your hair, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Your hair. 300-year-old haircut. Yes. Yeah, you, you kind of look like this. That's what we're talking about, right? Not, not anything else. I'm not, I'm not no, based you... on anything. No, you look like Davy Jones from the Monkees a little bit, I, I think. Absolutely. But that's cool. Absolutely. And I know who that is. That's remarkable. You know, that's 23rd century history books actually reference Davy Jones and his haircut. So I knew that. I knew, I knew that reference. Uh, but I want to dispute any rumors that my real name is Paul Andrew Chatsworth. It's absolutely untrue. And anything the captain says is, is just hogwash. I, I think from that clip you played earlier of the Romulan incident, it should be well documented that on occasion the captain goes insane in the membrane. So you can't trust anything he says. No, well, I think that guy got, I think he got exiled to Leningrad with some little old lady that was doing lap dances or something. 
I heard. <laughs> oh, yes, it was invented in Florida. But I, I'm oh. back in the boiler now, so I'm, it's, it's very hot. These polyester uniforms do not, they do not breathe well in the, in the heat of the boiler room. No, I, I wouldn't think so. But at least you got Scotty there to help you out, though, right? On occasion, he comes in and he, he, he chucks pieces of coal at me and laughs at me and, and calls me fake Russian boy. And I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I keep the engine running. It's just me down there with a shovel and then a big pile of coal. And I just shoveling it into this, this really hot boiler, which you'd be surprised that the 25th century Starship would have that. But, you know, when it works, it works. Yeah, they 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 invented they invented that in Leningrad too, the coal the first coal boiler. Yeah, I wish they I would invent a warp reactor, so I would I wouldn't have to keep doing it. It's really very very hot in there, but I'm I'm disputing it. I sent a letter to the Starfleet, uh, COC, uh, or CIC. I think I sent one to both, and I'm just telling them that I am absolutely Pavel Andreevich Chekhov, and I dispute any any words that say otherwise. And, and we believe you. Right, guys? We believe him, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah, yep. we do. Yep. Absolutely better, I swear. And, then, and as soon as I get my hands on that orange lobster, I've got a pot with his name on it. <laughs> 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 and a whole bucket full of butter and garlic. I'm ready to go to town. Mm. <laughs> that sounds so good. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> that does. Russian with, with, some, with some scotch or no? Uh, <laughs> no, vodka. <laughs> vodka, vodka, right. Vodka. Yeah. What do you think they serve at 23rd century uh, red lobsters? Of course, now in the 23rd century, we call them orange lobsters. Now you know why. <laughs> orange lobsters. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, we, we ran out of red lobsters, but, you know, then we found this planet with all these orange lobster guys, and, you know, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I, Whatever works, I, I guess, right? I mean, orange, red, yeah, it's all the same. Yeah, it's just important not to get too attached to him when he's working there on the, on the navigator station. You know, otherwise it makes it much more difficult to boil him. <laughs> that, this, this, this is he talks true. back. <laughs> yeah, this got dark quick. I mean, I've been yeah, in the boiler room for a couple of weeks now. So, I mean, come on. What did you expect? Pavel, you need to go look at the sun for a little bit. Yeah, You're get, get some me. fun. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get out of here, yeah. You know, something was invented in Russia, and I'd like to see it again. I'd like to, to work on my, my tan, be a little less white, and and then stop smelling like like coal and, and heat and regret. Well, you know what? Captain Kirk needs to stop hogging all the green Orion women for himself and share some with you. That's what I think. Absolutely, that's what I'm talking about. Why does he get all the ladies? Just because he's the captain? Yeah. It's not I'm not fair. the only one who wears a wig, you know. Well, <laughs> well, you were an admiral, yeah. though. I, well, you didn't I, I remember. hear that from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did not. We definitely did not. <laughs> wow. Well, anyways, listen, Pavel, we have to take another quick commercial break. So uh, we want to say thank you for hanging out with us and telling us about the boiler room and about your dinner oh, plans for later on. It sounds really oh, good. So I, nice... can't wait. 
I am Foreign. starving. It's, uh, I'm salivating at my lips. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. It does sound delicious. And uh, we'll be back after this very quick commercial break. So don't touch. No, wait, let me. I got to find my commercial break here. What, I, I'm, I'm getting in my old age here. There we go. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Andy Bray. He's going to be back with us. Chekhov is going to beam back up to the Enterprise and go back and shovel some coal. I've got a mountain full gonna... of coal with my name on it. That's right. And we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1. So don't touch that dial. Run, don't walk to the bathroom. We'll be right back after this very quick commercial break. Thank you for hanging out with us, Pavel. We'll see you next month. Absolutely. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by Shuttlecraft, or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back, and that was uh, Andy Brace checking in with Chekhov, and we're going to be doing that segment um, every month. So come back again next month and see what's going on with Chekhov, and maybe you can win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray or DVD. It's very simple. Just call 646-668-2433 on Thursday, July 22nd, and you're going away with a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It's that simple. I wouldn't lie to you, and neither would Pavel Chekhov. So we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 1. And for that, I want to... If you guys haven't seen Season 1, uh, what are you waiting for? But anyways, I want to play for you guys the trailer for Season 1 to set the tone. And then we're going to dive right in. Maybe. There we go. Captain, where are we going? We have no map. And you can't set a course without a star. It's hard to imagine. You've served under me for seven years. Commander Burnham. I think it is time we talked about you having your own command. Tutor transport. Unifiers are few and far between, but they do come. Often such leaders will need a profound cause for their followers to rally around. What am I looking at? Object of unknown origin. We've come all this way, Captain. It would be irresponsible to leave whatever that is unknown. What have you done out there on the edge of Federation space? Computer. Enable igniter. 
The website's critical consensus reads, although it takes an episode to achieve liftoff, Star Trek Discoveries delivers a solid franchise installment for the next generation. Boldly led by the charismatic Sonequa Martin-Green. The average rating for each of the season's individual episodes is 87%, indicating a generally favorable review. And uh, Eric, what do the fans on our Facebook page have to say about Star Trek Discovery Season 1? Well, top fan Debbie Campion said, I don't like how they changed the look of the Klingons, but I still liked it. She gave it an 8. Top fan Minty Clark said, love this show, 9.5. Joy Cranker said, 5. It was hard getting past having orcs in Star Trek. After that, it got much better. Uh, Jerry Lindo said, that's a full 10 for me. Top fan Mason Risco said, I watched season one twice and enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Ten. Christopher Burrell, a ten for me. Great story, ships, characters, and Captain Lorca, exclamation point. Uh, Top fan Danny Vigil said, I loved it. I give it a ten. Top fan Kevin Murphy said nine. Top fan Lyra Storms said eight. Top fan Adela Siorkova said a seven. And Michael R. Cook said three. The music is constant and doesn't let the dialogue breathe. And the drama is poorly told. So uh, that all averages out to a fan score of an 8.1 for season one. So there you go. Our fan score was 8.1. Are you still there, Jim? Oh, did we got the headphones. He did. <laughs> oh, no. Technical difficulties. Does that mean one of us gets to seize power? It is true. Whenever Jim goes off the air, we get to seize power and we get to do whatever we like. So uh, in this case, <laughs> I think Jim nice to go party. The, it's true. I think he wanted to go to the talking points, but I don't want to go into the talking points without him. So why don't we talk about our personal like overall rating of the season to start with? Do you want to start, Charles? Oh, I definitely. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, oh, there we can hear you, Jim. Did you capture oh AJ? God, that, that cat, he's just, he's just evil. You got to shut the door, man. You got to shut the door. I'm, I'm, you keep that I'm telling you. He's just, I don't know where he learns it from. As Steve Martin would say, you need to get a pair of cat handcuffs. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think you're right. <laughs> I, I try to protect myself, and it's just, it's, he's just brilliant. He's brilliantly evil. I, I don't know. <laughs> he's a cat. <laughs> they're, they're all brilliantly evil. That's true. That is kind of how they roll. Yeah. I wonder, does, does Pavel Chekhov have a cat? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Very impractical. Very impractical. Although they are a Russian invention. Just Only we could think of something so, so awful. I love the capture of Russian invention. 
Uh, did, did, yeah, you know, we call them Siberian kitties. I love him anyways. Even though he's evil, I still love him. Yeah. <laughs> he's still my cat. You're a good cat. That's still the my curse boy. of the cat. The curse All of right. the But you know what? I just want to point out, this is live. And when you do something live, stuff like that happens. So, <laughs> you know, there's no editing. When AJ runs away with my headset, you guys hear it. So I have a couple of uh, – I went back and rewatched every single episode of season one, and I got to say I loved it. I loved it even more the second time, knowing where it was heading. And uh, I have a couple of points I want to I wanna bring up. And uh, then I want to talk to you guys about season one, the highs, the lows, your favorites, what you thought about it. So uh, one of the things I wanted to that I noticed is that uh, Discovery um, Discovery didn't show up until episode three. That's interesting. Uh, the first two episodes really were just setting up the character of Giorgio, who of course would die. And uh, be gone, or would she? I really mm-hmm. like the spinning saucer section when they went to Black Alert. How they both spun in different directions. I think we talked about that when the when the show first aired. Um, and the first f bomb dropped on Star Trek by Tilly. Speaking of Tilly, the introduction of Tilly when she shows up, she's kind of um, like Barkley-ish, and I think she's she's very awkward, and I think. That's what endeared her character so much to a lot of the fans. Um, their use of the Bee Gees staying alive in a in a party on Discovery kind of caught my eye. Um, and the reason why Spock and Sarek never spoke, because Sarek spicked Spock over Burnham to go to the Vulcan Expeditionary. And we never knew why. Now we do. And how could we talk about season one? without bringing up the mirror universe. Just awesome. And if we're going to talk about the mirror universe, we got to talk about Captain Killy. Awesome. I, I loved her hair that way. It was incredible. And uh, we can't talk about season one without mentioning Harry Mudd. We see him twice. Um, well, technically three times because we got the short trek as well. Uh, but Harry Mudd. And uh, we talked about it briefly Jeff Russo's music. I think the musical score is phenomenal. He knows right when to use classic music and when to use original music. And when you hear the Star Trek theme or you hear a familiar song show up, it just gets you. He just He's perfect at placing those beats and not overusing them. So, so I just love what Jeff Russo has done. And, of course, the most tragic part of season one, episode directed by Jonathan Frakes was Dr. Colbert's death. Um, wow. Uh, it, that, if, if that didn't catch you off guard, that was incredible. I mean, it just, uh, wow. Uh, and, of course, what about the uh, big reveal at the end with, well, we didn't actually see him, but Captain Pike and the Enterprise cliffhanger. You, you got to admit, when the Enterprise showed up and we saw it for the first time, that you didn't jump out of your chair and you weren't like, oh, my God, it's Captain Pike and the Enterprise. Just, wow. So those are some of the things that I picked up on 
in, in season one. And uh, let's let's open it up for discussion, guys. So uh, Andy's Andy's with us. So Andy, what did you think about season one? What were your favorite parts of season one? Uh, I absolutely loved it, and uh, I mean, I'd give it a nine out of ten just so I can give season two and three ten out of ten because I, I think Discovery is one of those shows that gets better each year. But uh, in talking about season one, which is what we're doing, uh, I'd say I, I love the fact that we got to see a big premium television cinematic uh, Star Trek on TV, and uh, you know it, it and it swung for the fences. It was very much like let's see what Star Trek would look like if we put it into the same context and and size and scope as Game of Thrones. To that end, I, I liked the fact that they. You know, they, they had this big uh, uh, epic war story and that they had surprise deaths and that they had shocking twists and turns. I mean, suddenly ending up in the mirror universe for, for five episodes or so and, and finding out Lorca wasn't Lorca, but mirror Lorca. And, uh, you know, bringing back uh, uh, Giorgio, but em- Empress Giorgio and, and, and then dealing with that the next season and. And yeah, Colbert's death, which was shocking, and then dealing with that the next season. So I looked at, you know, not only did it it, it do these these big shocking moments, but then it it, it let the characters deal with it, and and it, it, it continued those storylines uh, into the next season. And I I loved also that, and unlike Star Trek Enterprise, and I love Star Trek Enterprise, but Enterprise went out of its way until season four to avoid canon. And so I love that Discovery. You know, dove head first into canon. You know, uh, uh, Michael Burnham is Spock's sister. Uh, the, the the Enterprise shows up at, at the end of the season. Uh, the, the Mirror Universe, the, the Klingon War, the 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 Starfleet Mutiny. You know, it, it takes on all these these things we've heard about, and it and it, it doesn't shy away from them. It doesn't play it safe, which I think is is invaluable to a franchise that's you know going on 55 years. To you know, you see these other TV franchises, and they become these kind of cookie cutter copies of each other. And I think it's brilliant that Star Trek is is branching out in the way it is and, and doing things completely different. And then the the other two things I want to say is, uh, I love the fact that they they changed the Klingons, and I know that's controversial, but I, I think it's still Klingon enough, and, and I do prefer the the Klingons with hair in season two. But I like that they look more convincing on high def than the the TNG Klingons, which weren't holding up. I mean, if, if the more recent movies and, and Blu-ray, uh, you know, watching Blu-rays of TNG and, and Deep Space Nine, you were starting to see the makeup scenes. And so it was kind of time for a makeup upgrade. And I like that it's no longer just brown-faced Klingons, which is kind of uh, iffy. I know that they're an alien race, but it, it's kind of falling into um, – a trap that could be kind of racially insensitive. And I like that, you know, Klingons like humans have a variety of skin colors, just like we see now with Vulcans and we see now with Romulans. So I like that we've got gray skinned Klingons and, and uh, gray purple skinned Klingons and black skinned Klingons and brown skinned Klingons. And then the last thing I'll say about season one of discovery is Sonequa Martin green is a national treasure and she does what all the great Star Trek leads do, and she just owns it. She is so charismatic, so emotional, so much energy. I mean, every time she's on screen, it's just you can't take your eyes off her. And that's what Chatner did that made the original series so unforgettable, and that's what Stewart did that made Next Generation so unforgettable. And I think uh, Sneakwa is right up there with them. So, Andy, let me ask you. Let me uh, let me ask you. Uh, 
play a little devil's advocate. What, what did you think about the, the fact that they actually did change the Klingons? Now, this is a sticking point. I dress up as a Klingon. It doesn't bother me at all because technically the Klingons changed every single time we've seen them. Mm-hmm. They were just <laughs> yeah. dudes with, with shoe polish on their face and Fu Manchu mustaches and TOS. And then when the motion picture came out, boom, they had their own language and they had a spiny head. That was the first change. And then TNG came along and uh, Star Trek three. Even before that, you know, Star Trek three, they looked a little bit different from Star Trek one. So it's like, yeah, every time you saw them, there was like something different about them. Yeah. They always, they were always changing. And the way I reconcile that, I mean, there's two ways to look at that. One is the whole Gene Roddenberry, what he allegedly said about Star Trek 1, you know, this is what the Klingons were intended to look like, but we didn't have a budget. And you just kind of have to accept that, hey, makeup improves with each decade. There's, there's innovations in makeup. Now, now they have silicon headpieces. It's so much better than the latex and so much better than you know, the lack of budget they had in TOS. And just accept that, you know, it gets better. The, the makeup gets better, and, and we are seeing – that money on screen and, and they want the aliens to look as convincing as possible. Or the way I look at it, the, the way that, you know, Star Trek fans can reconcile it is we are seeing the future through different lenses. In the original series, we saw the 23rd century through a low budget lens. That wasn't the 23rd century, but it was a low budget lens letting us get a, a fuzzy glimpse of the 23rd century. And then that lens got a little bit better in the, the movies in the nineties. Uh, and, and in a moderate budget lens, but now we have a high def budget lens, and this is a high def lens. What we're seeing now is what the 23rd century looks like, and and it's what it would have looked like in the original series if they were using a high def lens to look into the future instead of the low budget lens. So that's how I reconcile it. That it's the same century, the same universe. It's the prime universe. It's just now we're seeing it as it was meant to be seen. If we had the, the proper lens to look into the future and see exactly what's waiting for us. And, and, and Gene Roddenberry always intended the Klingons to be aliens, not just people yeah. with a funny colored face, so that when they become friends with Earth, it's a meaningful development because they are truly alien. And if you go back and look, Star Trek, the motion picture sketchbook, uh, you will see in there a sketch of what Gene Roddenberry envision the Klingons to look like for Star Trek, the motion picture. But as Andy said, they didn't have the budget or the technology to do it at the time. And of course they went back to those original sketches and designed the Klingons for discovery. And the USS discovery is based on what they were going to make the new enterprise look like in Star Trek, the motion picture, which I think is great as well. So yeah, and, and the same for this is jumping ahead to season two, but the same with, with the Enterprise, the, the disco Enterprise. I mean, that's, that's what – I mean, I, Enterprise, the series, did a great job of showing us the old TOS Enterprise and lighting it in such a way that it looked good. But at the end of the day, it still looks like a 60s set, and, and when you've got the budget to, to reimagine it, I think that's okay to do. I don't think it's blasphemy to, to reimagine with the budget they have now and, and look at the Enterprise with that high-def lens, that, that – that future as it ought to be lens and, and really just make a, a beautiful ship, which I think they did. And, you know, when Sonequa Martin-Green, when Michael Burnham is flying through the asteroids in her jet pack to get to the Klingon um, torchbearer ship, 
those scenes are just they're breathtakingly phenomenal. Um, oh yeah, they they look incredible. And yeah. to me, Star Trek doesn't have to be. Um, I'm going to use some words that aren't in, totally accurate, but Star Trek doesn't have to be cheap and campy to be relevant. Just because they didn't have the money in the '60s and we had styrofoam rocks and guys in rubber suits, that's what they had in the '60s. But in the '80s, when they did TNG, they got a little better. Deep Space Nine, Voyager came along, they got a little bit better. The movies came along, they got a little bit better. And they've been improving as time went along. So I, I agree with you completely. It doesn't bother me at all that things are updated, changed, improved, altered. Yeah. And a I think bit. people will point out about the original series that, you know, oh, look past the special effects, look past the, the 60s hairdos and the go go boots. And TOS is about the ideas and the stories. So I think those same people, it's important that they. You know, listen to that advice themselves and, and feel free to let go of the old sets and the old uniforms and let them be updated because Star Trek has always been on the forefront of and, and, and costume design and set design. And even in the 60s, it was at the forefront of it with a limited budget. But I think it would be a disservice to the show and to the creators behind the show and to the fans to, to limit yourself to what was established 50 years ago. And, the look that was established 50 years ago and update it, you know, update the sets, update the uniforms, update the special effects and the camera moves, the storytelling, even, you know, going from episodic to serialized. I think that's such a richer uh, form of, of storytelling for, for television nowadays. And uh, I mean, and, and for the folks who love episodic, it's, it's coming back to lower decks does episodic and strange new worlds is going to do a, a hybrid form of episodic with some serialized uh, story bits as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I love Anson Mount, and I love Captain Pike, and I'm really excited for that. So, guys, we have yeah. to take our final commercial break of the night, believe it or not. My God, time flies when you're having fun and when AJ's running away with my headset. So, anyways, <laughs> we're back. We're fixed. We're live. And we're going to take our final break, and we're going to continue talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1, and we're going to hear from Eric and Charles. So don't touch that dial. Run, don't walk to the bathroom. We'll be right back after this very important commercial message. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more no, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith that you'll call We wanna hear what you have to say We've got faith to believe In just talking today You've got faith in your fingers All you gotta do is sound down You can reach us right now We've got faith and we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1. And, uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery Season 1 so far? Uh, well, man, I really dug this season as well. Um, I think my overall score for the season would probably be right around an 8.5. Um, 
definitely my favorite episode was Into the Forest I Go. I just I just love that episode. There's so much drama. There's so much buildup. The 133 jumps uh, to to break the Klingon cloaking device was such a cool concept and and just executed in such a dramatic and as Andy was saying, a cinematic way that just really pulls you in between the music and the visuals and uh, the acting and everything like that. So uh, so overall, really really like the season. Um, you know, we since we're all stroking the ego of the season so much, I, maybe I'll bring up a couple of things that, you know, didn't sit totally well with me that I can't quite resolve about the season. One, the biggest one is probably about uh, whether or not Burnham was actually justly accused of starting the Klingon War. I just cannot figure this out because, you know, I've rewatched the season. I just rewatched it over the last couple of weeks. Um, as far as I can tell, you know, she she starts kind of at the beginning of the war. She's contacted by Sarek and uh, she's like, Sarek, what do I do with the Vulcans? And, uh, or what do I do with the Klingons? And he's like, well, the Vulcans shoot first. And so she comes back and she tries to get everybody to do that. And, you know, people aren't listening to her. So yes, she mutinies, she knocks out Giorgio. She tries to get the crew to shoot first, but ultimately it doesn't work. Later, She's, uh, she comes up with the idea of capturing Takuvma instead of killing him. And her and Giorgio beam over to the, to the ship of the dead, and that's when Giorgio is killed. So at no point is Michael really, like, actually responsible for starting a Klingon war. Remember, there's the scene after she fails and Giorgio has her at gunpoint, all of the Klingon ships warp in, and they're there. And they're in front of the of the discovery uh, or the Shenju, and they won't uh, you know they won't shoot. So anyway, I I can't figure out how Michael started the war, uh, and she's really chastised well, a lot. Maybe for it. it was just the the her accidental killing of the torchbearer when she tried to escape and plunged his his batleth into his chest, and. And like you said, she was supposed to capture Takuma, and she actually killed him and made him a martyr, which she said would happen. Um, both of which you can excuse. I mean, not the first one is definitely not her fault. The second one, she should have done better, but you know, it's hard in the heat of the moment when your captain's killed to, to blame her for that. But then again, having been the first Starfleet officer to commit mutiny, you could see why probably other Starfleet officers would would be happy to pile on to her about starting the war and blame it on her. And they really did. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Andy. And they really did. I mean, they show that uh, a lot. You know, after they get past those first couple episodes, you get into the next couple, and she's really, every time she walks by somebody, she's kind of giving the stink eye. So, um, but that's a good point. You know, I I agree. uh, I, I, I don't think she should be blamed, but I can understand why some people would blame her. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, so I remember the first time I watched, I personally think that season one is way better upon multiple watchings. Um, I think the very first time I watched it, I was always an advocate for the show, but I always thought that Lorca was no Starfleet captain. <laughs> he just didn't really have <laughs> the, uh, the feel of a Starfleet captain. And of course, as you go back and you watch it again and again, you're like, oh my God, how many clues did they give us that he was from the mirror universe? Yeah. I and mean, they're all over the place. Um, so that that's kind of fun. And one of the, reasons that I really like watching it uh, multiple times. Um, let's see. Well, Eric, uh, what yeah. about Giorgio? What about Giorgio kicking Lorca in the face when he's standing behind her? That had to be <laughs> incredible. Yeah, I mean, I remember we uh, when we talked about that the very first time, we were like, I cannot physically believe that's even possible. Like, the geometry doesn't even <laughs> seem to work out. And yet, 
somehow she did it, right? Uh, and she Michelle Young stuff. is amazing. I mean, she's amazing. She's just like, yeah, just just really something. The I was saying that she did that great interview on uh, on the official Star Trek podcast where she she talked a little bit about what it was like to be a you know person that came from martial arts films and that sort of stuff and and the contributions that she made uh, in Star Trek Discovery. So that was cool. Uh, you know, Jim, you mentioned that jetpack scene. I just wanted to say that that jetpack scene with uh, Burnham flying towards the Klingon ship, first time I ever saw it, and every time I see it, I still think of Star Trek, the motion picture, and, um, uh, or not uh, not motion oh, picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, is it motion picture? Yeah, where it's Fox. It's yeah, yeah exactly. He's in his suit, and he's got the jetpack, and he's flying towards Beecher, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's just very And then... Uh, Kenneth, I'm sorry, I can't remember his last name, but the guy who plays Cole, one of my favorite Klingons of all time. Like, he is right up there with Martok for me. He is such a badass in season one. He has such a clear, like, purpose, a clear focus. He's got a goal he wants to achieve, and he is running over whoever he needs to to get to it. And that is a, that is a Klingon way of thinking, you know? Uh, and he just does a great, great job in that role. So uh, those are some of my personal highlights. Uh, there, there are so many more, obviously, so many other things I could talk about, uh, but I want to make sure Charles gets a chance. So what do you think, Charles? Star Trek Discovery, Season 1. Okay, well, you guys get to see some of my notes in here. So I can get all my points. One of the things was when we first saw the ship, not in the movie, not in the not in the third episode, when we first saw glimpses of the ship in the preview, we thought that that ship looked so boxy. It looked rather square. And yet we saw Discovery's updated version, and we just loved the ship. Yeah, that was interesting how much of a difference there was, Charles, between the original images that we were given of the ship and then the way the ship actually ended up looking. I mean, they were totally different. Yeah, it was such an interesting. Where else? Okay, let's talk science in Star Trek. We learn about a tardigrade, and we find out that at the bottom of my notes from After Trek, the tardigrades are real. This is a modified version of a tardigrade, but tardigrades are real. We learn about a. We learn about a scientist. And his study. And not only do we learn about the tardigrade, but we learn about interesting, <coughs> the interesting study of mushrooms. And that mushrooms have their own, they have their own ways of move, uh, of propelling through the mycelial network to travel. And that which is okay, wow, we're actually traveling through a mycelial network. We're learning about mushrooms. We're learning about tardigrades. Boy, we're sitting there look, getting to learn some interesting things. And it's like, okay, this isn't, some of this stuff isn't that far off. Something we sat there and Jim mentioned, but I have to hit on. We learn about mud origin. We learned a little bit about mud before Kirk. 
and what kind of character Mud was. Boy, we found out how devious he was, in myth, and especially when he was able to manipulate time. And we learn about Stella. Yeah. We got the Stella. My beloved Stella. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so funny because throughout the whole season, like the the couple of episodes that he shows up in, um, you know, the very first one, he's talking about Stella. And then at one point, it's almost like he forgets that she's supposed to be the one that he's in love with. (laughs) There's like this moment where he... It's almost like he's told the story so many times that he's kind of forgotten how to tell it. Uh, I think it's right in Choose Your Pain there. Yeah. Anyway, so funny. But yeah. also remember how much the fact that Jim's like, I don't like this character's stomach. I just don't like the character. And Jim's like, well, I don't mind the character. Oh, I like this character. We had a hate-love relationship with Samet. But he became such an, in, such an integrated character in the series. And yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I think Stamets was one of those characters when we first meet him and that he was kind of like a pompous ass. And you were like, dude, dude. And you, you, just, didn't, you just didn't like him. But you're, you're absolutely right. He grows on you as the yeah. seasons Which, go by, and I think that might know. have been by design. Like, like Michael was very much an outcast when she got on Discovery, and I think maybe we, as the audience, were meant to feel like, you know, these people don't trust each other, they don't like each other. We, this feels like an uncomfortable ship, and then we go on the ride with them as they come together as, as a family, and, and continue to, to come together even more so in the, in the second and third season. And so it's an interesting approach to starting a Star Trek season. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's also uh, it's also interesting that uh, you know becoming the tardigrade, putting the mushrooms in his body was kind of what like chilled Stamets out and made him a likable guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying doing mushrooms yep. chills you out? I'm not saying that yep, because kids don't do <laughs> mushrooms, but uh, man, all I'm saying is that he did chill, sure uh, he sure was a lot more likable after that. <laughs> <laughs> Jump, jumping ahead a little bit, I think that um, when when he hooks up with with a, with a, a deer at all, um and kind of gets his family adopted family with with you, that's when Stamets that that whole speech right there, that's when he he became one of my favorites in season three. In my well, Stamets, opinion, Stamets has a great character arc, uh, you know, throughout the whole series because he he goes through first of all he. He comes, he's a scientist. He's not a warrior. And so he starts out, and he is one of a couple people who have invented this amazing technology, and yet it's immediately co-opted for war efforts. Then his partner is killed. Then he goes on, like, major trips throughout the, the, the universe and kind of learns so much. Then his partner comes back. I mean, you look at the ride this guy has been on. In season three, when he gets his happy ending, it's not really an ending, but his happy kind of coming to the end of season three, don't you just feel like he has gotten what he deserves after all he's gone through over three seasons? Oh, yeah. Uh, don't, 
Don't forget oh. Burnham shot him out an airlock, which which we oh. haven't resolved yet. But back to season one with but, Charles. Yeah, back to season yeah, one. We'll, we'll save that for later. Go, go, go ahead, Charles. We talked, about, we talked about Samus. We can't forget about Colbert. And Jim mentioned Colbert's death. Ugh. And that reminds me into the fact that we still haven't reviewed Dead Endless yet. Because the novel Dead Endless starts us off just after Colbert's death and leads us into his return. And what happened in between there? And boy, is that an interesting story of what happened in there. But I can't wait! I can't wait to when we eventually get that book, book in into our reading. But that is such an interesting book because you get an interesting view of Colbert and Samet in that book. And then, of course, my final item on my list: something we had never had before in a Star Trek series. And we were glued every week. Even second season, not as good. And then we got re-glued with the new version. But we had After Trek. Yes. We had a show that sat there and talked about the making of search, uh, making of the series, discussing these episodes, discussing some of the introducing to some of the, some of the actors some of the backstories like Samich's real-life counterparts. That was, yeah. wow, okay, I just saw a great episode. Now we're going to sit there and talk about the episode. We're going to talk about the making of. It's like, oh, that, that's going to hook up even more. Yeah, and I'm yet, so glad they did that. Those were great. Season two, then we got what we really wanted by season three because of the cards. Will Will Wheaton took over. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I wanted to also mention Laurel. I I love her character, um, especially where she ends up as the chancellor. I think she's fantastic. I love her character, and I really like the actress. I think Mary Chifo is, is awesome. And yeah. I hope, and hope, and hope, and hope, and pray that they find a way to get her character into strange new worlds because she deserves to yes. be there. And yeah. props Phenomenal. to those guys for the amount of Klingon they had to learn each week and, and perform each week. That was incredible. So much. I mean, I was just reminiscing about how many subtitles happened throughout uh, season one, and I really liked that they kept that authentic as much as possible and tried to use the subtitles and not just, you know, have them speak English all of the time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they had to learn so much. And and they had to learn, that, especially in the early episodes, they had to learn how to speak through the new makeup that they hadn't quite figured out yet. Yeah. yeah you know what I liked about that, Eric? Not only did they use the subtitles, but they used Klingon subtitles to show you that they were still speaking Klingon, but that the translator was putting it into English, which is something they yeah, had never cool done moment. in any Star Trek 
ever before. That was really cool. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. And, and I, you know, we learned that the Klingons don't actually have uh, you know, a universal translator of their own. Burnham. Uh, yes, because he calls her out on it, yeah. That's right, yeah. He's like, what is that? You speak Klingon. She's like, no, it's a universal translator, dude. Yeah, and if we're going to talk about season one, we have to mention Ash Tyler. Yeah, um, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, uh, because How when he, when Vogue... Yeah, I mean, we we know that the Klingon on TOS can alter Klingons to appear human because we saw it in the Trouble with Tribbles, um, which which is ten years after Discovery. But to see what they actually did to Ash and how they made him Volk into Ash, and the and the trauma that it that it caused on him, and where he actually the, the arc of that character ends up. I think is, is one of the highlights of season one. Yeah, so good. And, and touching on, on relevant themes of, of post-traumatic syndrome and, and the, the men, mental uh, 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 toll that, that war causes. And, and his character, I just, yeah, I thought his character was fantastic. Well done, well performed. Yeah, there's oh. that one conversation he's having with Burnham where she's talking about, uh, it's before he's discovered as, as, as Volk, and she's talking about, uh, you know, she wants to love, but she's feeling hate. And she's kind of talking about all of these dichotomies that have been happening throughout the show, show while she's sitting there talking to Ash Volk, which I just think that that's one of the places that the writers of Discovery went that I don't think we necessarily got in previous versions of Star Trek, which is not good or bad. It's just different in that they really dive into – the, the metaphor and the, the sort of symbolism of exactly what the people are saying and how it relates. There's nothing that's unthought about, right? <laughs> Every single yeah. detail One has been curated to tell that story. Storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You, because you, you've got many, many hours within which to actually tell your story arc. You're not limited to that 45-minute slot. Which is yeah, yeah, so great. I'm glad that they chose to do that. Me too. I mean, what it means is that you can't, it's not as much fun to go back and watch, you know, episode six, season one, all by itself, unless you've seen them all a million times and you can kind of insert yourself right into that story. I feel like discovery is best when kind of viewed in chronological order, Um, which is, which is a little different, but it's, it's certainly a valid way to tell some really good stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and what about the, um, the birth of Laurel and Ash Volk's child, son of none. And when uh, Cole comes in and kills her uncle and steals the baby, and then she has that speech, call me mother. And uh, Ash two. Tyler, two. Take, he takes <laughs> the baby to Boris. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've never really seen Boris before except for we're sitting in a cave around a fire. That's all we've really seen mm-hmm. about it. Oh, wait. No, that's season two. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm getting, he, he brings the baby to Boris in season one, but we don't actually see Boris till season two. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, the baby but the birth of their child. Yeah. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. I, I watched so, all okay. the seasons. <laughs> let's but, another anyway. character in. Let's. Let's another character in there talk about 
that we didn't we haven't talked about yet. Cornwall. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. he's great. An admiral for the people instead of an evil admiral that's scheming. Well, and an admiral for the people who also is a psychologist, which is such a cool like mixture. Of course, somebody with those skills could you know work their way up through Starfleet, uh, doing what needs to be done for people. And she, it's funny how she has she had that previous relationship uh, with with Prime Lorca, and then she's unable to sort of. She knows something's wrong, right? But she thinks it's just trauma from being tortured by, by Klingons. She doesn't realize that this guy was raised in an entirely different universe until she kind of, there's that scene where they're in bed together and she sees the scars on his back and then he wakes up and puts the gun to her head. Um, what a powerful woman. And, and, well, in season one, she makes it to the end. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> and she gets to give everybody commendations at the very end, which is very cool. And I want to go back to something that Tignatero said in the in the interview article that I read during the news section. And and this is something that I, I, we take a lot of heat on the Facebook page. I get whenever I put something up um, that has anything to do with gay pride or anything like that, the, the I always hear it. But I just want to say that I really think Discovery is doing a phenomenal job in including everybody. And inclusion is so, so important. And I like the way they do it on Star Trek because on Discovery, like Jet Reno said, it's not the gay character. It's not the gay episode of the week. It's not the, um, the, the binary episode of the week. It's just what it is. And as fans, I just accept it for that. You know, you don't look at Stamets and say, oh, he's the gay doctor or the gay engineer. And, you know, you don't look at at Reno and say, oh, well, she's the gay engineer or anything like that. They're just characters on the show that are part of the Star Trek family. And that's something I really, really love about Star Trek Discovery. And a lot of people go on, oh, it's, it's the agenda. It's the alphabet agenda. They're just trying to check things off, and I don't agree with that at all. I think that I'm going to jump ahead to season three. The speech that Stamet has with Adira where where she says, I prefer to be called they, and the look that Stamets gives her, and without skipping a beat, he just refers to her as they, and they go on with their business, and, and everything is fine and great and hunky-dory, and nothing really comes of it. And to me... That's perfect. That's what Star Trek does the best, and that's what Discovery yeah. does the best. And that's I it's applaud what Star the Trek writers always and always should be representation, and at the leading leading front edge of, of representation always. I mean, I'll be the first to say when we talked about this on the show uh, way back, I thought when they were talking about binary, m- my ignorance, I thought they were talking about binars. Um, you know, the 1100101 guys. I had no idea uh, what the what it was to be a binary character. I just didn't know. I'm just ignorant when it comes to that. And that's in Which a Star I think Trek probably fan. a lot of people innocently are. I think that's, that's why it's so important to have that kind of representation and, and on shows it, like Star yeah. Trek. So, yeah. It, it, I, I didn't understand it. It didn't, didn't dawn on me what it meant until Stamets and, and Adira have that conversation. 
and and then then it did. But up to that point, I didn't understand it. It didn't mean anything to me, and I think that's great. And I hope that they keep on doing things like that with Star Trek. Yeah. I I really liked I really enjoyed that. And uh the mirror universe stuff, Giorgio, I think you were talking about serialization and I think that the first two episodes really set up Giorgio. They set up Berman Michael Burnham's backstory. We find out, you know, that Spock is her brother and things of that nature. And then Giorgio's dead. But without that death and without that preamble, we wouldn't get to see the redemption of of Emperor Giorgio, which is also another phenomenal arc that we get to go and and enjoy. So I, I can't say enough about it myself. I, yeah. I, I've loved it. Season one has been great. Nothing but good. And some wonderfully directed episodes by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. Who is just a Star Trek directing stud. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it's, Whenever you see that Frakes is going to direct an episode, we know it's going to be a pivotal episode. Yeah. He he doesn't get the duds. And that's something else I wanted to mention, too. Uh, Jonathan Frakes on um, After Trek, uh, uh, The Ready Room, he was talking about why it's such a joy to direct Discovery versus direct, say, TNG or even the Orville. And he said because those are – those shows are directed for television and you have your close-up shot, you have your long shot, the camera pulls in, the camera pulls out, and, and it's pretty much the same from show to show to show. Whereas on Discovery, he's allowed to do crane shots and he's allowed to do all kinds of, of intricate shots and, and set-up shots that you just couldn't do on regular television. And I think it shows when you watch Discovery or, or Picard for that matter. Yeah. So that the shots are so, yeah. so different. Yeah, like directing a, a movie, which you know, must be a, a just complete joy to him. Yeah, I just, I, I can't say enough of it. And our fans uh, gave Discovery Season 1 an 8.1. And, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go with an 8.5. I'm going to be right there with the fans, I think. I think that's a good place to be, Definitely. Well, guys, believe it or not, we're just about out of time. I cannot believe it. So, uh, Charles, what would you give Discovery Season 1 on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm right there with you, Jim. 8.5, I think it's perfect for that season. Yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. So, listen, guys, um, before, we, before we go, I just want to say thank you to Andy for hanging out with us, talking about Star Trek Discovery and bringing on Pavel Chekhov so that we could find out the truth about Pavel on uh, checking in with Chekhov. So thank you very much for hanging out with us and Trek talking with us tonight, Andy. My pleasure. It's always a blast hanging out with you guys. And uh, we'll, hey, hey, Pavel, I'll get with you. They say thank you. <laughs> he's nodding. He's still shoveling, but he's nodding. Uh, no, he's, he's probably having some vodka. <laughs> and... Uh, We'll be back with another checking in with Chekhov. Again, I'll get with Andy. We'll get that listed on our Facebook page as soon as we have that set up. So thank you so much. Make sure you go and check out the Becoming Chekhov skit. It's, it's hilarious. You definitely won't be disappointed. 
And, of course, i got to say thank you to Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Charles. Oh, thank you. You always make it fun, and people like Andy just make it even better. It, it was, oh, it you, was fun. And, of course, thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. It's been a blast. Oh, you bet. I had so much fun, and thanks for joining us, Andy. That was really cool to hang out with you again. Thank you, yeah. Cool to hang with you guys again. Yeah, we'll 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 hear from Andy again. He's not going anywhere. Trust me, he'll he'll be back. <laughs> he can't get rid of us that easy. <laughs> <laughs> they put a tracker on me. I can't get away. He's he's stuck with us. <laughs> like like uh, he's not going anywhere. So, anyways, guys, I just want to say that next week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Uh, we talked about Star Trek two, three, four, and six. Um, we skipped over five, so we're going to double back and hit five. We're going to talk about that next week. So you guys want to tune in and uh, talk about Star Trek five. It's going to be a blast, as always. And, um, Jim, Jim, hey. but what, what does God mean with a starship? <laughs> exactly. What does Indeed. God need with a starship? <laughs> maybe he collects them. Maybe, maybe he hangs That's- them on his tree. Who would do something like that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but we're going to have some fun next week, guys. We're going to be talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So please give us a call and share your thoughts on Star Trek V. I have a lot to say about Star Trek V myself, and uh, you'll hear all about it um, next week. But wait, there's more. We're also going to be talking about a musical episode of Star Trek Discovery. Could it be? Well, you'll have to tune in and find out. Um, Worf set an unbreakable Star Trek record. I wonder what it could be. Again, hang out with us next week and find out. And uh, Jeff Russo conducts Star Trek Discovery Music Live. So we have a lot to talk about next week as well as Star Trek Five. So hang out with us and have some fun. And I keep saying this. I'm going to say it one final time for tonight anyways. On July 22nd, we're going to be giving away Star Trek Discovery. AJ, get down. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. We have some Blu-rays and some DVDs to give away to you guys. Absolutely free, but you have to call us on the 22nd to win. So mark your calendar. Set your alarm clock. If you're listening in Australia, I'm talking to you, dude, Australian dude. Yep, you. Talking to you. Um Give us a call, and I'll send you a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so you don't want to miss that. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Believe it or not, it's over. Another show has come and gone. Where AJ, I threw him out, and somehow he gets back in. I don't know, like, if he beams through the wall. I don't know how he gets in here. But when when he ran away with the microphone, I threw him out, and now he's back. Anyways, I love him anyways. Um, yeah, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So uh, make sure you give give us a call. Visit us on our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying be good to each other, stay safe, and we'll see you guys all next week. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Good night. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, yes, yes.
let's fly. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.